Well, it's uh, great to be back. I've been gone for a, a number of weeks. I have watched services online, and uh, it's much better to be here live in person. Uh, thank you, Danny and worship team, for leading us in worship. So thankful for those that have walked us through the book of Exodus over the na- last number of weeks. We're in chapter 12 this morning. Uh, Pastor Mark Birch, who was here last week, said some lucky schmuck will get to preach on uh, chapter 12. So I guess I'm that guy. I'm not sure that word should be used in church. But anyways, he said that. And uh, we're in Exodus chapter 12. The title of the message is Dressed and Ready. We... We live in a strange time uh, with uh, many warnings around, the, around global warming and uh, a changing political climate in many places. Many live with a certain uneasiness. At the same time, it's not unusual for leaders, world leaders, to say, hey, it's 2017, society is changing, people are changing, and oh, it's for the better. And so there's this odd marriage between deep insecurity and unbridled optimism. This summer, uh, kind of the second half of July, I got on my motorcycle and rode from Vancouver to Calgary. And from Manning Park to Calgary, I was under a cloud of smoke, going from smoke-filled valley valley to smoke-filled valley, always hoping that over the next mountain range I would encounter clear skies, but did not. And it seemed as if British Columbia had been enveloped by a plague. As I rode, I asked myself the question, am I attuned to what God is doing in our day? If God were to move in a mighty way, an act of salvation, an act of judgment, would I notice? Would I immediately take note? Are we ready for what God is to do in our day? As I said, we're in Exodus chapter 12, and the context of Exodus chapter 12 is the 13th century before Christ. Pharaoh is the ruler of Egypt. Egypt is the superpower of the day. And if we were to have a conversation with Pharaoh, he would say something like this. I am the undisputed ruler of Egypt. I am the son of the supreme God. I am the representative of the gods of Egypt on earth. I am the absolute sovereign. I determine who lives and who does not. Everything in my kingdom exists to serve me. The people of Israel, of course, are in slavery. Through Moses and Aaron, God has been messaging Pharaoh that he is to let the people of Israel go so that they might serve him. Nine plagues have been sent. Nine plagues. Nine plagues which target the gods of Egypt. Each plague communicating that the gods of Egypt are a fallacy, that this worldview that the Egyptians have, that Pharaoh has, is actually fraudulent. Only one God is to be worshipped, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Exodus chapter 5 verse 2, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. In his mind, 
He is the son of the supreme God. He is the representative of the gods on earth. He determines who gets blessed, who gets cursed. He's in control. So he's chosen not to listen. And God has hardened his heart. A tenth and final plague has been threatened at the end of Exodus chapter 11. And this act of God, it will have profound meaning for the people of Israel. And it will have profound meaning for all of God's people from that day to this day and forever. Whether Pharaoh likes it or not, God is writing a story. Whether we like it or not, God is writing a story in our day. The main point of this message is God will act as promised. Be dressed and ready. God will act as promised. Be dressed and ready. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. Let's open our Bibles. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Note that this tenth plague and the Exodus are so significant for Israel's identity, for their faith, that God will mark the beginning of their calendar with this event. The calendar will begin on the 14th day of Nisan. That's our March, April. It will begin at twilight, the eve of the spring equinox, on a full moon night, with a day when he reveals his sovereign presence and power to save, with a day when he reveals, or sorry, fulfills his promises, with a day when his people are freed from slavery. This will mark their beginning as a nation. God's doing much more than executing judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He's calling a people to himself. This is the Lord's Passover, a moment of deliverance when God is revealing himself as Savior and the people must respond by depositing their faith in him. 
Remember, the plagues, from the fourth plague onward, God, just by his grace, protected the Hebrew people, protected the people, protected their land, protected their livestock. Now with the tenth plague, the Hebrew people, for them to be delivered, they actually need to exercise their faith. They need to act in faith. How will they demonstrate their faith? Well, first, in faith, the elder of every household will take a lamb on the tenth day of Nisan. Not just any lamb, a male, a year old, without blemish, the perfect lamb. They will separate this lamb to care for it, to guard it until the 14th day of Nisan. Then again, in faith, on the 14th day of Nisan, between sunset and dark, with the full moon appearing, the lamb will be sacrificed. The blood of the lamb will be drained into a basin. A bunch of hyssop. Hyssop is an evergreen, bushy herb often used for cleansing and purification. With that hyssop, the hyssop will be dipped into the basin and blood will be smeared on the upper beam and the doorposts. That night, no one in the home is to leave until morning. The blood on the door frame is a sign that the people in that home belong to the Lord. It protects them from the wrath of the Lord. When God sees the blood on the door frame, he passes over. Thus, beginning of Passover. No fatal blow will befall that home. In faith, the people are to be dressed for travel. Did you notice that? So they're not at ease around a table. They're not with evening wear on. No, they've got their belts fastened, sandals on, walking sticks in hand, ready for imminent departure. They're ready in faith. It's interesting how we dress for important events, weddings, graduation ceremonies, banquets. I remember getting dressed for my wedding many years ago. I was in southern Brazil with my fiancée, Judy, and... My side of the family, we got to the place of the wedding ceremony on time. We were dressed and ready. And Judy's side of the family was not there on time. <laughs> they were uncomfortably late. And I remember my father leaning over to me and he said, Ray, I don't think this wedding is going to happen. <laughs> and I said, No, Dad, I'm dressed. It will happen. And it did. <laughs> I acted in faith, and here we are. <laughs> the Israelites are to be dressed and ready for what God is going to do. Are we dressed and ready for God to act? We'll come back to this question. In faith, the lamb is roasted. And the lamb is eaten by all in the household. It's eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The unleavened bread, again, symbolizing something. They will need to leave their homes in haste. Pharaoh will drive them out. And so they will pack up their dough before it is leavened. The word to the Israelites was, be dressed and ready for God to set the calendar for his people. Be ready. Calendars, they're not set very often. The uh, people of Israel, they will walk through the wilderness into the land of Canaan, as God has promised. The Canaanites, the people that dwell in Canaan, their calendar, it was set according to the fall harvest festival. That's when their calendar began. 
The Israelites will have a very different calendar set by God himself. It will begin with the Passover celebration. It will begin with a a remembrance of how their faith journey began, how they became a people, how God passed over their homes, how God delivered them, how God freed them from the bondage of their oppressors. Every year they are to remember. It will be a remembrance throughout the generations. The perfect lamb, the sacrifice of the perfect lamb. It will be a vivid reminder every year that it was necessary for a perfect lamb to die, its blood to be shed, that they might be set free. Freed from the forced slavery of Pharaoh so that they might walk under the hand of the Almighty God. It's the birthing of the people of God. It's how the faith journey of the people of Israel begins. Them trusting God for their salvation. God determined it to be so. He set the calendar for them. And he sets the calendar in our lives as well. We'll come back to this. So the people of Israel, they're dressed and ready. Their roasted lambs have been eaten. And it's midnight. Verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead." Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. There's a long build-up to verse 29. Many confrontations, many conversations, nine plagues. But when the tenth plague comes, God acts quickly, decisively. He proves his presence and power to save from that moment and forevermore. Every Egyptian household is is awakened in the night. We can't imagine the pain of that night. People waking up from household to household. Just this anguish, this cry of anguish crossing the land. Exodus 11.6 predicts the moment. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. Across the entire social spectrum, from Pharaoh to the least, rich and poor, a cry of anguish. Why did God strike the firstborn? This theme of the firstborn, it's found throughout the book of Exodus. Remember, Pharaoh believes himself to be the firstborn. Firstborn means the special one, the chosen one, the representative of authority. And he understands that he is the representative of God on earth. He is the one that deserves inheritance. He and he alone. God says to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. 
If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And Pharaoh refused to listen. His heart's hard. God has stated repeatedly throughout the book of Exodus that the central purpose of his self-revelation to Pharaoh and Egypt is so that the Israelites and the Egyptians should know that he is the Lord. He declares in verse 12 of chapter 12, I am the Lord. As he judges the gods of Egypt, he's proclaiming the good news that he alone is the God of the universe. That he alone is the Lord of history. That he alone is the one that has the nations of the earth in his hands, including Egypt. That he alone is the one who has power over life and death. That he alone is the one who is the God mighty to save. He alone is the one that can declare who the firstborn is. He alone is the one that can lead his people to their inheritance. Not Pharaoh. And so after the tenth plague, no more proof is needed of his power and presence. The gods of Egypt have been judged. Now, the Egyptians, they were pantheists. Pantheism believes that, or those that are pantheists, believe that the divine is in everything. Everything that you see is in some way a part of the divine, a representation of a god, a spirit, a spiritual force. Everything is animated. Everything is alive. Many of the ancients were pantheists. Many people today are pantheists. Many people in British Columbia are pantheists. They may not recognize themselves to be pantheists, but they are creating their own spirituality and including things from different religions and things from their own imagination and creating their own divine world. The ten plagues were very specific judgments, judgments on the gods of Egypt. The message was crystal clear for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The belief system of the greatest economic, political, military power of that day was exposed as fraudulent, fake news. And God revealed himself to be the true God. As I rode through that cloud of smoke in mid-July, from Manning Park to to Calgary, valley after valley, filled with smoke, I was asking myself the question, would I be attuned if God were to act in our day? I was also, when I stopped, I was reading a book, not while riding my motorcycle, but when I would stop, I was reading a book entitled Cascadia. Uh, Cascadia, that word, it refers to the Pacific Northwest, this region from Alaska all the way down to Oregon. Cascadia, the elusive utopia exploring the spirit of the, North, of the Pacific Northwest. And the author was talking about our spirituality in this region. He describes our spirituality in this way. Cascadia may be a so-called secular place where fewer people than anywhere else in North America consider themselves institutionally religious, but they certainly think of themselves as spiritual, often experiencing sacredness in the imposing landscapes. He goes on to talk about the way that we in Cascadia create meaning for ourselves, purpose, attribute value to our lives. He says we have an unusually strong sense of being secular but spiritual. 
which feeds a kinship with nature and a yearning for a fresh future, a kind of non-sectarian version of a new Cascadian Jerusalem. And so, according to the authors of this book, here in the Pacific Northwest, we kind of worship nature and we create our own vision, version of heaven here on earth. We can't imagine what it was like to live through the ten plagues. But when the smoke of the, from the interior moved into the lower mainland, it just settled here for about 12 days. We could literally taste what it might have been like. No one could escape that smoke, rich or poor. No matter what your ethnic background, young or old, you were affected by that smoke. Where are the gods of the Pacific North, Northwest, these gods described by these authors, when smoke covers the province? Where does one find peace and rest when nature itself is groaning? What would it look like for God to judge our pantheon, to judge our gods in our day? You see, we live in a society where the self is worshipped and things are used to serve the self. Things like money, sex, power, and nature, all in the service of self, each one his own or her own pharaoh. Now, you may recognize that to describe the world that we live in. And if you are a follower of Jesus, of course, we pray that we are not being influenced by that, that we are remaining grounded in the world, but it is the world that we are immersed in. And what would it look like if God were to warn us, if he were to act for salvation and judgment? On the night of the Passover, the land of Egypt cries out in anguish like never before. In verse 33, the people cry out, all of us will be dead. If God can take the firstborn, he can take anyone. Pharaoh hasn't protected his house. He heard the warnings. He received the warnings by God's grace. But in his stubborn rebellion, because he did not listen, there is not a house in Egypt that is not mourning. Pharaoh and his people are caught sleeping. He did not heed the warnings to be dressed and ready for God to save his people. He did not heed the warnings. Are we ready? Finally, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron into his presence, contradicts himself completely in chapter 10, verse 28. He said, get away from me. This is what he said to Moses. Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Now he summons them. Pharaoh, the one who did not even recognize the name of the Lord in chapter 5, verse 2, he now pleads for the Israelites to go, get out, be gone, just Go! Two things should be noted here. First, Pharaoh asks for a blessing from Moses and Aaron, Israelites. A blessing from the God of Israel. This is the first time that a Pharaoh asks for a blessing from an Israelite since that first Pharaoh asked Jacob for a blessing in Genesis chapter 47. 400 years have passed. It's the first time that a pharaoh asks for a blessing from an Israelite. And then secondly, 
Pharaoh has used his strong arm to bind the Israelites in slavery. Now his strong arm is driving them out. And this fulfills God's word, a word spoken in chapter 3, verse 20, and chapter 6, verse 1. The time has arrived. Let's continue to read verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians." And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. But they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves." The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Note that... uh, The people of Israel, they're walking out with a lot of silver and gold jewelry and clothing. This was prophesied when God spoke to Moses in chapter 3, verse 22, at the burning bush. God said this would happen. This was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 15, that his descendants would leave with great possessions. So the people of Israel, they have obeyed the voice of the Lord and they have gone to the Egyptian homes. It's like they walked down Robson Street and just went from store to store. Give me that, that, that. Can you imagine? The people of Israel had never been so hip. It's like walking down Fifth Avenue in New York and just asking for whatever you want. They'll need to trust God on this wilderness journey. But God has enriched them overnight. They have more gems, medals, and clothing than they could have accumulated in a lifetime. Another sign of God keeping his word. They walk out in large number. Jacob and his family, they entered the land of Egypt, a group of about 70. Now 600,000 able-bodied men leave with women and children. Again, God has kept his word to Abraham, fulfilled his promises. They walk out as a mixed multitude. Another translation reads, a large and motley group. Another, an ethnically diverse group. It was a mixed group. As you read through the five books of Moses, you see signs of this over and over again, that Egyptians and Cushites, witnessing what God was doing in Egypt, they have joined the people of Israel. The Egyptians, or sorry, the Israelites, they walk out in the Lord's timing, 430 years after entering Egypt, on a night when the Lord was watching. It was a night when God was keeping his word, his promises of deliverance, his promises of protection, his promises of freedom. God delivered his people exactly as he had planned to, not a day earlier or later on a full moon night, the 14th of Nisan, this mixed multitude had listened to the word of the Lord and they were dressed and ready for God to send out his people. 
question for us. Are we dressed and ready for God to set the calendar for his people? Are we dressed and ready for God to save his people? Are we dressed and ready for God to send out his people? What would this mean for us? Well, the first Passover in Egypt spoke prophetically to our need for salvation. 1,300 years later, on a Passover night in Jerusalem, God again had set the calendar. God had sent his son. Every Passover celebration up to that moment had pointed to it. We read in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So as I said, 1,300 years after that first Passover, on a Passover night in Jerusalem, the ultimate Passover lamb was sacrificed. It was truly the Lord's Passover. Jesus, the Lamb of God, being sacrificed on our behalf. His blood being shed so that we might be set free from sin. Our redemption required the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, the Son of God. May we never forget. Jesus took your sin, took my sin upon himself that our sin might be paid in full, that we might be forgiven and walk free, that we might live freed from the bondage to sin itself. And Jesus rose from the dead, firstborn from the dead, so that we might be set free, not just to enter some earthly land, but so that we might enter the house of the Father. We have been blessed with eternal life. Inheritance. As that mixed multitude, thousands of years ago, needed to be protected by the blood of an innocent lamb, so we need to come under the covering of the perfect lamb of God, the shed blood of Jesus Christ himself. Our spiritual journey begins by acknowledging our sin, by acknowledging our selfishness, acknowledging our self-centeredness, and repenting and turning to God and saying, God, I need you for salvation. God, I accept the gift of Jesus, his sacrifice on my behalf. Thank you, Jesus, that you took my sin upon yourself, paid my debt in full. Thank you, Jesus. And it's as we humble ourselves before God and accept the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf that we are set free. We become sons and daughters of God. The first time Jesus came, 2,000 years ago, he came as Savior. He came to deal with sin. But God has set the calendar for Christ to return. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So God has set the calendar. 
the return of Jesus. Hallelujah. If we are followers of Jesus, then we look forward to that day with tremendous hope. When Jesus returns, we will be ushered into the house of the Father, an eternity with God. All that we have hoped for, all that we have lived for. But for those that have not accepted Jesus as Savior and as Lord, they will be ushered into eternal punishment, to an eternity separated from God. And so the invitation to the Father today, to those of us that have not received Jesus as Savior and Lord, the invitation to us is to humble ourselves before him and accept the gift of salvation. If we want to be welcomed by the Father at Jesus' return, if we want to be welcomed by the Father, we need to come to the Father under the blood of Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, not in our own. Romans chapter 3, for there is no distinction. There is no distinction. No matter what your social status, no matter what your ethnic background, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift, a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, only in Christ Jesus. There is no other way. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus Whom God put forward was the Father who put Jesus forward. I continue to quote. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation, that means the removal of sin. It means appeasing God's holy anger toward sin. That is only possible through the covering of our sins by Jesus Christ himself. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The only way to receive this is by faith. We don't work for it. It's by faith. We put our faith in Jesus alone. So again, I urge you, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, then today is the day. Give your heart to Jesus. Experience the wonder of salvation in Christ. And what does it mean for those of us that already are followers of Jesus. Well, again, are we dressed and ready? Are we walking in humility before God? Last week, Pastor Mark, he talked about revival, Canada needing revival, and we do need revival in our land, but it always begins with God's people. And so are we surrendered, living surrendered to God? Are we expectantly uh, uh, preparing for God to move? The news of Jesus' return should just fill us with hope, but the New Testament instructs us to do three things. One, to be alert. To be alert. But it doesn't stop there. 
We are not only to be awake, we are to be praying, interceding for the world around us. And thirdly, we are to be sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus boldly. So are we dressed and ready, expectantly waiting for God to move in our day, to do a miracle of revival in our day? Are we ready for it? When God begins to move, will we notice? Are we ready for his saving acts? Are we ready for his acts of judgment? Are we aware of how God has enriched us? heirs of the kingdom, how God has prepared us, equipped us to be his servants in this day. May we be bold witnesses for Jesus. God will act as promised. Be dressed and ready. May we be dressed and ready. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Just a moment of silence and just... um, In the silence of your heart, this is between the Lord and you, just ask the Lord, Lord, how would you have me respond to your word today? I thank you, Father, that you are drawing people to yourself. And so I pray this morning for those that are here and don't know you, those that have never surrendered their lives to you. And if you are one of those, I just invite you to pray with me. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin upon yourself. Thank you for paying the price that I could never pay. Forgive my sin. Thank you for the gift of salvation, for the gift of eternal life. Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to know you. Fill me with your spirit. I want to follow you. Teach me your ways. And if you're praying that prayer, then I would ask that you come forward after the service to talk to me or one of the pastors or talk to the person that brought you. Go back to the Welcome Center. There are people there that would love to pray with you. Don't let this day pass without surrendering to Jesus. And for those of us that are followers of you, Jesus, O God, may we be dressed and ready for you to act in our day. O God, we pray for revival in our land. May it begin with us. Lord, do your work in our hearts. Remove whatever needs to be removed. The sins that entangle us, Lord, remove them. May we keep our eyes fixed on you, you the author and perfecter of our faith. We're here this morning talking about the Passover, talking about your blood shed for us because, Father, you determined it to be so. You have set the calendar. Thank you, Lord, for the day when you drew us to yourself, the day when we surrendered to you. Thank you that we are here by your grace. And, Lord, may we walk under the empowering of your Spirit. May we walk alert, praying, interceding, sharing boldly our faith in you. May many come to faith in you, Jesus, we pray, for your glory. And now may the God of peace who 
brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you.